Welcome to episode 46 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio via the technology that we have all grown to love and hate named Zoom by my good friend, my co-host, my colleague at Grace College and Theological Seminary, and the man who is eager to see the semester end, John Sloat. Yes, Doc. Very, very eager, ready uh, to to finish grading papers and stop getting emails from students and shut it down for a little bit. How about yourself? Are you ready? For, are you ready to be done? I am. Yes. Uh, this is uh, we're recording on Monday, and so this is the final week of the semester here at Grace, and I think that uh, faculty, staff, and students are all just trying to. Trying to get to the finish line here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some measure of, on all parties, running out the clock a little bit, playing the four corners offense and uh, fin- finishing things out. Yeah, though the four corners offense only works um, when you're ahead. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm ahead right now. So I, I think I'm going the other direction and uh, trying to chuck threes left and right to, to, to catch up here a little bit. But in any case. So uh, we would love for you to connect with us on our various platforms. You can find us on Twitter at V and S pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, check out our Facebook page, various and sundry podcast. And we would love for you to uh, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating, and a nice review, which we have a new review this week, John. Yeah, yeah. Aaron in Illinois. Yes. Shout out to Aaron in Illinois. Thanks for stepping up. And I do know that we have uh, another listener who reached out to us who doesn't listen on the Apple podcast app asking how he could uh, leave a review. So we'll see if he figures out a way to do that. So, yeah, yeah, Stephen, Indiana. Yes, yes, indeed. So, um, busy football week slash weekend. You want to start with NFL first? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, let's start with Monday Night Football that involved uh, my Jets. Uh, yeah, so last week, so we're recording on a Monday before this week's Monday night game. So, this would have been the previous Monday night's football game between the Jets and the uh, hated Patriots. Yeah, the hated Patriots. Um, and, uh, and the Jets almost won. It was, it was a horrifying uh, uh, four quarters of football there for the New York football Jets uh, because they almost won the game, uh, destroying any chance at a draft pick. So, well, I mean, what what other teams are there right now that only have one win? Is there anybody? I don't think there are many. I think I think most have two. Yeah. Um, so I, even if I they, know, I know the Patriots are right there. Um, well, they won last night, right? They they beat the they beat the Ravens. Hmm. So I think they've got at least four wins now, three or four wins. The Patriots do. Yeah. Just uh, the Jaguars are at one and eight. So they're they're very close and and could be taking a quarterback. Oh, that's right. Didn't they beat the? They won yesterday, right? They beat the. I think they beat the pack. No, the Packers came back and rallied, right? 
That's right. Yeah, they were leading the Packers for a while. Yeah. Yeah. New England beat Baltimore, which is which is odd. Um, the the Chargers are two and seven, but I think they have their quarterback. They do. Um, Bengals are two and six, but I think they have their quarterback. They do. So I, th- I think the the Jaguars are the scary ones. Um, that, you don't like, think they're all in on Gardner Minshew? No. <laughs> I think Gardner Minshew may be a flash in the pan. I don't. I don't know that he's here to stay. Okay. He was fascinating for a time. I mean, part of it's the mustache, right? I mean, yeah. Um, the the Redskins are two and seven as well. That that's they're they're uh, close to abysmal. Yeah, well, I mean, the entire NFC East is is abysmal. Um, though it looks like the I think the the Eagles probably have the inside track there on uh, on probably winning that division. Who knows? Yeah, Eagles three and five. And the, the Falcons at. Well, the Falcons are in the NFC. That'd be South. Yes, they're three and six. Yeah, so I, I think the Jaguars are your only realistic competition for uh, the first pick. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we'll see how this. I mean, we're only halfway through the season. Did you realize that? Um, my goodness. Yeah, uh, it's. It's hard to believe, though. There's a lot of talk in uh, in media circles of whether or not the NFL will actually complete the full regular season uh, in terms of having 16 games for every every team with COVID stuff. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know that they'll do it with things spiking the way they are right now. Um, it seems like everybody's taking a pretty cautious approach. Uh, to COVID and um, th- things really seem to be ramping up, particularly around uh, athletic events. So it'll be interesting to see how the winter progresses here. Yeah, there's a lot of money involved, though, John. A lot of money, and so unless I, I think I think the NFL is going to press forward unless they get uh, too many players on teams where you've got games being canceled. That's one thing, but. I don't think anything outside of that is going to alter what what the NFL wants to do. Now, um, I know baseball was just like, well, we'll go by winning percentage. We're going to get everybody to the, you know, we're going to get to the playoffs. And that's where baseball makes its money is in the playoffs. NFL makes pretty good money week to week, I think. I think it's less dependent on the playoffs um, than, than other sports. Would does that Does that sound right to you? I don't know that, but I would. I think that's probably correct. Hmm. So, um, Steelers are still unbeaten. And uh, did you see the end of the uh, the highlight of the end of the Cardinals Bills game? Uh, better yet, I heard the radio announcement from both perspectives from from the Bills announcers and from the Cardinals <laughs> announcers, and they're they're fantastic. The Bills, he caught it. Oh boy, you know that, that, <laughs> right. that was basically it. And the Cardinals were just screaming um, yeah. in the press press booth. Um, objectivity was not on display in that moment. Well, and you don't expect that from the home radio no. broadcast. <laughs> if you're tuning into that, you, you are intentionally tuning in for uh, Homer analysis. Mm-hmm. So um, Steelers are still unbeaten, though. I just, I mean, I know they're nine and zero, but. Do we really think that they're better than the Chiefs? 
Um, and I don't believe they've played yet, have they? Or do, do they even play this season? I don't think so. I don't know if they're on the regular season schedule. I don't. I don't know that they are. I think that could be a fun game to watch. I, I think Ben's playing some of his best football right now. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's a bizarre year, so strange things are likely to happen. Uh, are you ready to move on to some college football? Sure, sure. Uh, the Ohio State game got canceled this week, right? Yes, uh, because of a COVID breakout in the Maryland football program. So uh, thankful that it was not on the Ohio State side. But um yeah, so Ohio State had an unexpected bye weekend, and uh, they are gearing up for playing the Indiana Hoosiers this upcoming Saturday, who are arguably the surprise of the college football season. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch the Hoosiers run through uh, the last several weeks um, and and win some surprising games. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's still hard for me. I think, I think they're a good to pretty good team, but I'm still not sold, but I guess we'll, we'll all see on, uh, on Saturday at noon in Columbus when they, when they play the Buckeyes. What, what would sold mean to you that the, that they're a national contender or. Um, um, I'm not sold that they're the ninth best team in the country. Okay. In other words, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be ranked or anything. Uh, I, I'm just not convinced that that they're the ninth best team in the country. Um, it's got to be a little hard to judge that this year, particularly because you don't have a lot of cross-conference games going on. You don't have... You basically have none. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have Ohio State playing somebody in the SEC or the Pac-12 or, or anything like that, um, which you would normally have in a, in a, in a regular year. Right. Um, so, so it's got to be hard to make a uh, rankings like that when you're when you're not able to see those games. Absolutely. And you've got since the Big Ten started so late, you know, Indiana's played four games. Ohio State's played three. Mm-hmm. You know, Notre Dame's played eight. I think. Wow. By now, seven or eight at this point. Um, and SEC schools have played around that number as well. So. You know, how do you even compare a three and Ohio State team with a you know seven or eight and Alabama team? Yeah. I think that's just really challenging to to even compare, especially when you consider the 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 way that a team develops over the course of a season, right? Mm-hmm. You know, ideally those kind of teams are getting better and better each week. So I don't know how you compare a week three Ohio state team with uh, a week seven or eight or nine Alabama, Notre Dame or Clemson. I mean, so what, what I think is going to be interesting is it feels like this year more than ever, the eye test is going to be important. Yes. And that, that's the term I keep hearing is eye test. And I don't, I don't envy uh, this, the, the committee that selects the playoff teams. Uh, because I mean, n- inevitably there's somebody unhappy, right? Uh, somebody's yes. going to pass the eye test that a certain group of fans feel like maybe shouldn't have passed the eye test and all sorts of things. It's it, but I, I suppose it's that way every year, but you know, uh, normally you're comparing apples to apples, I suppose. And 
this year it's a little bit different with the variety of games being played. Right. Yeah. And we still haven't even talked about arguably what to me is probably the most interesting story of the, of the college football season so far is the fact that the team up North is awful, like awful, Uh, awful. They got embarrassed by Wisconsin at home this weekend, 49 to 11. And I think at one point, I think through the first quarter, they had maybe like five yards of total offense. Their quarterback on his first two throws through two picks. They're terrible, John. Well, what you know was funny is I was listening to an interview with Rich Eisen the other day, who is an alum uh, of yep. Michigan. And uh, he was trying to defend the offense. He was trying to say, and this is a few weeks ago before, before the Wisconsin game, that like they may have a very good, very, very good offense, but they can't figure it out. That was his thing. But it's, you know, this week was a little bit of proof. They can't even figure it out on offense. No. And I, I don't know how long, and I'm torn because I'm like, well, this, this usually calls for Harbaugh being let go. Um, however, where do you go from Harbaugh? I don't know. Um, I mean, he was, he was the promised one, right? I mean, he was brought in and he obviously has the deep ties to the program, having played there, having had family connections there. And he came in from an incredibly successful NFL career. He had had a a successful college career before Mm -hmm. going to the NFL at San Diego state and then at Stanford. And then, um, you know, took the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl where he lost to his brother. Yeah, lost to his brother with the Ravens. That was great. <laughs> and uh, and so it's it's just stunning that it's not even like it'd be one thing if they've been really strong the last few years. And then this year is just like, uh, you know, a dud because you, know, you can think, well, COVID just maybe they couldn't figure out how to how to do this with COVID. You know, they they. They just are not good, John. They they are just not capable. And that game against Wisconsin, they look like they were completely um, just not ready to play. They didn't look like they had any energy. Their players, their, their body language from right from the start just looked like they were already beaten, that they were already down four touchdowns when they when they kicked the ball off kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty striking. The, the only thing that, um, that I was disappointed about from Saturday night's game when they, when they lost to Wisconsin so badly was the fact that there were no fans in the stadium because had there been, the chorus of boos would have been utterly deafening. Yeah, well, and the probably garbage flying on the field, all, all sorts of things yeah. um, from, from those people, for sure. Um, I've heard rumors that Harbaugh is going to step down. I've, I've heard that they're going to fire him. I, I've heard a, a number of things about Michigan, and I, I just don't know what what's going to happen. I find it hard to believe that they're going to fire him. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is possible that they would um, try to come to some sort of – like his contract goes through next year. And I don't think the buyout is especially large at this point. So I can envision them talking about a sort of parting of the ways package where he goes back to the NFL 
and becomes the next head coach of the New York football jets. <laughs> and, uh, and takes his little parting uh, gift from the university. What, what happened to him? Cause he had, he was great at Stanford. He was very, very good at, uh, at San Francisco. Um, and then something happened in San Francisco where he lost the locker room and the team got very bad and he got let go. And then he came to Michigan and it just seems to be more the same where things have just been bad. Um, I'm, I'm worried he's lost his touch a little bit or lost his mojo or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I do think that part of the issue is um, recruiting at Michigan. He can't recruit. He can't mm-hmm. compete. He cannot compete with Ohio state and Penn state uh, in conference, let alone on the national level to compete with, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, all the big powerhouses that are consistently pulling in top five recruiting classes. So when you don't recruit at that same level, then you better develop players like crazy. And he's not Mm -hmm. doing that either. Yeah. Hmm. So actually, we've got one more sports note that didn't make the show notes, but I want to mention here. Did you see right before we uh, got together to record that the NCAA announced that they are going to do the March Madness basketball tournament in one location this year. No, I didn't. Yeah. There's, they're trying to figure out where, and apparently the leading candidate is Indianapolis to have all 68 teams come to Indianapolis and play at sites around the city. Now, of course, when, when you're not going to allow fans or hardly any fans, the size of the venue no longer matters, right? So you don't have to have these places that can hold huge crowds. So um, it looks like Indianapolis is a, is a leading contender for that one, because they're trying to do a bubble, basically, is what they're going to try to do. Are, how far north are they going to go for gyms, do you think? For, uh, 68 teams, a lot of teams. Yeah, but if you're doing Thursday and Friday um, and you're doing – I mean, I'm trying to think how many sites they have for round one typically. Do they have um, Do they have 16 sites? But then they rotate them maybe? Does it maybe eight sites each day that are active? Yeah, that sounds right. It's not, I think it's usually – yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds right. So I think that, you know, can you find eight gyms? in the larger Indianapolis area that could, that could do that. But they have to be conducive to TV, uh, which could be right. difficult to find. Um, not all high school gyms are going to be that way, which, which would be a natural place to look. I would think. Yeah. Though there are some honking big um, high school gyms here in the state of Indiana. I don't know how many of them are in the, in the immediate um, Indianapolis area, but. Sure. Are they, are they conducive to TV though? I think, I think that's the the question. Well, on the court size too. I mean, you you really can't do a high school court like, cause they're they're just smaller than college courts. So in any case, that'll be interesting to to track the developments of that. Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, we need to move on to our uh, main topic for the day. And we are going to talk about the, the value and the role of elders within the local church. So uh, before we kind of maybe drill into the details a little bit, why don't we 
um, why don't we maybe share some examples of, of how we've seen elders function well in our experience in a church context? Can you think of any particular examples, John, where you've been in a church where you feel like you've seen the elders function especially well and maybe even handling uh, a specific situation or just in general? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, um, well, I, I think sometimes when elders are functioning well, you don't always notice that they're functioning well, if, if, if that makes sense, that, that um, they're, they're doing their role uh, in such a way that, that it just seems normal. And, and uh, for, for the most part, there are obviously some, some exceptions. Um, but, but I can't think of times when my elders have stepped into church discipline uh, with members of our church. Uh, and have carried those out with uh, with with uh, in very godly and, and helpful ways to to bring uh, conviction to others and to um, eventually uh, we've I've been a part of a church that removed somebody from membership and told them they were no longer allowed to take communion at a church uh, and this sort of treatment of this person actually ended up bringing this person back into the fold and the person uh, was. Uh, uh, saved and and uh, became became a really flourishing Christian um, after that time. So how about how about yourself? Yeah, I've seen um, I've seen our elders at our at our current church uh, that you and I are both members at uh, function well in a lot of different contexts. Um, I I will also. Uh, put forth the the example of of church discipline, seeing our, our elders handle situations surrounding church discipline, handling it very well, mm-hmm. and from a from a res, from a restorative heart, not a sort of punitive heart. I know that church discipline kind of gets a bad rap for by a lot of people, but when it's done right, it is. Uh, it has very much the potential to be restorative and not just simply uh, punitive. But we also live in a culture where even just the idea of church discipline seems uh, pretty outdated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, Doc, in scripture, we see some, I think there may be some confusion in terminology uh, between elder, pastor, um, overseer, you know, you know, these, these different words that we see as we, you know, maybe are reading through our ESV. Could you parse those out? Is there a difference? Is there no difference? Like, like what's the, what, what's going on there? Well, there's certainly, uh, different opinions on this, but I personally am persuaded that the terms elder, pastor, and overseer are all interchangeable, meaning they refer to the same thing that they do not refer to uh, distinct offices, that they all refer to the same uh, same office within the church, and that it's just a matter of different terminology that perhaps uh, tries to highlight a different element of their role in those different terms being used. So uh, pressing question, uh, does an elder have to be old to, to be an elder? Um, not necessarily, but, um, there is a sense in which, uh, scripture does warn about, uh, the dangers of putting younger men in that kind of position. So 
that's that's the reason for my sort of hesitation and saying not absolutely, but uh, there are some cautions there about uh, younger men being in those roles, and especially uh, even in the context of of uh, recent converts, regardless of age. That's that's something mm-hmm. the New Testament warns pretty strenuously about not putting recent converts into that kind of context. All right, uh, Doc, as you're thinking through um, the role of an elder, uh, I, I think I, I've been in some churches where uh, the elder seems to function more as like over the finances or, you know, there's, there's sort of this board mentality uh, that they're working with the pastors to sort of the day-to-day functions of the church, those sorts of things. Is, is that the idea that, that scripture presents as a, as a elder um, or is it, uh, is it more, um, is it more day-to-day soul care? Like, like what does the Bible present as uh, an elder? Well, I think that the, the primary uh, function of the elder is ultimately uh, the idea of shepherding and exercising oversight of the congregation. And so you, you might have an elder who is um, kind of the point person on the finances of the church, because that is part of the oversight of the, uh, of the church. Obviously, finances can be a big piece of that. So it's, it, it's certainly not inappropriate to have an elder who might be the, the, the point person on the, on the team of elders kind of overseeing the financial components uh, of the church. Though uh, I know at our own church, we have uh, a group of deacons who mm-hmm. do more of the in the weeds kind of uh, handling of some of the financial pieces, but that even still gets sort of filtered up to the elders who then discuss and even will set priorities of, hey, we want to increase our percentage of, of giving towards missions this year, of our budget towards missions, or, you know, we need to, we need to hire a new staff person. So, you need to find a way, deacons, to make that feasible when it comes to uh, our financial um, structure here this upcoming year and, and those kinds of, of realities. But ultimately, I, I think that the idea of shepherding, meaning uh, encompassing the idea of, of leadership, but also care for the congregation is, is kind of at the heart of this idea of being an elder. And leadership looks, uh, let me put it this way, leadership has a, a wide range of expressions. It's not just, well, who's the guy up front who's talking the most when it, in, a, in a church business meeting or on a Sunday morning? Uh, leadership has a lot of different expressions, and that can happen behind the scenes as well in terms of in the more one-on-one kind of um, kind of counseling or discipleship contexts, maybe it can look like overseeing the the small group or the life group ministry of the church, those kinds of realities. So first um, Timothy three uh, mentions a, a long, not a super long, but, but, a, but a long list of qualifications, uh, things like that. One of them is um, able to teach or apt to teach. Um, how do you, how do you define that? How do you, how do you work through that? Um, the ability to teach seems to be part of it, but, but at what level? Yeah, I think that honestly, that's, 
when you look at the qualifications for elders, that's really the only, um, really the only skill or ability that is listed. Hmm. Everything else is character based. Everything else describes what kind of person uh, the elder is supposed to be, and that th- those qualifications on that level um, are, in one sense pretty generic in that all believers are expected to pursue the kind of character that the elder demonstrates. In fact, uh, I don't know if he originally is the one to sit first to say this, but one of our own elders at Christ's covenant likes to say um, what every Christian should be an elder must be. Hmm in terms of the character piece of it. But when it comes to the idea of able to teach, I think that an elder needs to have a deep enough grasp of the gospel and the sort of theological foundations of the gospel that he is able to um, not only communicate it clearly, but also able to refute, identify and refute false teaching. Hmm. Because that, that seems to be one of the focuses, not just in this, uh, really that comes out in Titus 1, where Paul sa- says to, to Titus, I left you in Crete to appoint elders, and one of the things he expects them to do is to, uh, to teach sound doctrine and to refute false teaching. So I think that the, the ability to teach does not mean that they have to have a sort of be able to teach at a seminary kind of level. It doesn't even necessarily mean they have to be a dynamic preacher, but they do need to be able to explain the gospel and the theological foundations of it clearly and in a way that uh, people can connect with, I think. So I think, I think that bar is, uh, is maybe not as high as we might think, but it needs to be high enough where mm-hmm. someone can uh, articulate the gospel, its theological foundations, and be able to push back against false teaching. Okay, okay. Um, no, I think, I think that's helpful. And I think that's right. I think, uh, at times we often think, my goodness, this is all the pastor does, or this is all an elder does is, is teach. And we think that can be the most important quality, but I, I, I think you're right in saying that, um, the bar is, is maybe not super, super low, but, but the bar, um, uh, isn't as high as maybe we, th- we think it is at times. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you mentioned uh, the list of qualifications there in 1 Timothy 3. Well, when you get to chapter 5, in verse 17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So it, it sure seems like that there are some elders whose primary focus is preaching and teaching. Hmm. And that there are some elders who that may not be the, pri- the the primary focus of their ministry, but they still need to be able to teach. So it suggests that those other elders might be focused on different aspects of the life and ministry of the church and do 
less of the kind of in the classroom from the pulpit kind of teaching that, uh, that some elders uh, focus on. Hmm. No, that's interesting. Um, and also, what, what was that verse again? One more time. It's First uh, Timothy five seventeen. Okay. Um, it does. It does make you wonder. Um, you know, for, for the elders that rule well, and you know, there's sort of an implication that there are elders that don't rule well, also, <laughs> right? Um, if one exists, the other must also. Um, you would think, yeah. What are, and, and this is going off script for us a bit, Doc. But what, what do we do when elders aren't ruling well? Like, like as a as a regular uh, congregation church attendant, what? Goodness, you, you see some troubling things in an elder. What what what's what should our response be? Well, I think that in part the the answer to that question depends on the nature of the concern. So, you know, on, on the one hand, if it's if it's a, a a moral failure kind of issue, that's one thing where you know, there, there's an expectation of how we should um, uh, address that kind of issue. Um, but when it comes to, you know, for example, um, you know, if, later in that passage in First Timothy 5, uh, verse 19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So even there, you're seeing this pretty clear bar of if you're going to make a charge against an elder on the sort of uh, moral grounds or that they've done something to disqualify themselves, it needs to be serious and it needs to be well established. Yeah. So that's a different category than something like, I just don't think we're doing a good enough job to reach out in our community in evangelism. Well, that's a legitimate concern, but it's not on the same level as I think one of our elders is is committing sexual immorality. Like th- those are two pretty different kinds of levels of concern. So I-, I think that when it comes to, you know, differences or concerns that are not as clear cut, I, I would hope that that those, those concerns are expressed first directly to that elder or to the elders. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't, um, if that doesn't go far enough, if it doesn't manage to get uh, ultimately where you want it to go, you know, I, I think de- I, I guess it depends on the, the the nature of the issue and how much uh, how important it is to you, I suppose. Um, well, uh, Doc, any any other text you'd recommend uh, surrounding the the um, idea of eldership, people haven't thought about this too much or haven't thought about it in a while. Where, where would you point them um, in scripture? Yeah, so we've talked about 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and we've mentioned Titus 1, 5 through 9. Those are the most uh, obvious passages that give clear descriptions of the qualifications for being an elder. Beyond that, though, I think another couple of passages to reflect on are 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, where uh, Peter talks about Jesus as the chief shepherd and uh, elders in the church as under shepherds, which is a good 
healthy reminder of who the ultimate elder of the church is. And then the other one is probably maybe a little less commonly thought about, but Acts 6, 1 through 7, which is the story of um, there's a group of Christians in the early church who were being neglected in the distribution of the food service. And so mm-hmm. the, uh, the, this complaint comes to the attention of the apostles. And in the context of addressing it, they decide to appoint a group of men uh, that probably is the kind of the origins of, of, of deacons. But in explaining why they're doing it, what they basically say is, uh, it's not good for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. And they're not diminishing the importance of meeting the, the physical needs of, of believers, but they're saying our primary calling is to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And I think that that's a helpful reminder for, uh, for elders that the, the, the form of their ministry will look different depending on context and that sort of thing. But at the heart of it, it really focuses on ministering the word to people in different contexts and praying. And in that sense, it's, it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's simple that if you have the mindset that says, my job as an elder is to minister the word of God in different contexts and pray for people and care for them in that way, I think that can be pretty clarifying. And on the other side of it, as a congregant, it can be clarifying that, you know, we, we want our elders to be devoting themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer and oversight of the congregation and that other individuals in the congregation need to step up and say, you know, maybe if, maybe if we're concerned about the upkeep of the grounds, for example, you know, maybe we don't need to have the, have the expectation that the pastor is going to be out there mowing the, mowing the yard. Not that he's above it or not that he, you know, shouldn't be willing to do it, but, you know, maybe perhaps that's not where he should be focusing his time and energy uh, is on the, uh, is on the upkeep of the grounds. Uh, I'd also add in for the congregant, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Um, so, yes. so there, there seems to be a command that, that even in the midst of disagreement and frustration to, to obey, um, those elders. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, one of my favorite stories from church history is, uh, when Jonathan Edwards was fired from his church, the last sermon that he preached was basically a sermon that focused on the idea of, we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. And he will hold all of us accountable for how we've handled this situation. (laughs) Wow. Where he's basically like, I'll have to answer to God for how I've shepherded you. And you will have to answer to God for how you have responded to my leadership and, and, and how you've handled that. And I do think that's a good, uh, a good reminder that not only are elders responsible before God for how they lead, but we as congregants are responsible for how we respond to their godly leadership and whether we make their task burdensome or frustrating or whether we make it a joy and make it uh, um, a delight for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good word. Um, any any resources you would, you'd recommend as you as you think about eldership? Well, I, I really think that uh, a lot of the stuff that Nine Marks puts out on different aspects of life and ministry of the church are, are really helpful. And they have a whole book devoted to, uh, to elders that's called uh, Church Elders, How to Shepherd God's People Like Jesus. And it's uh, a really accessible, pretty short read, uh, only 145 pages or so. So it's, it's, it's easy to, to kind of dip in and, and not something that's going to overwhelm you. If you really want something a little deeper, there's a book called um, Shepherds After God's Heart, I think is the title, by Tim Laniak. It's in the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. So much, much deeper dive on that, but really helpful from a biblical theology of kind of, uh, of eldership and how to think about that. So, yeah, well, and if you listener out there have recommendations on like, oh, I read this book on eldership or this book, uh, hit us up on social media. Let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear about what you're reading uh, on eldership. Um, and with that doc, you ready to move on to our athlete? Let's do it. All right. Um, so uh, uh, Slim Pickens, 46. Who did he play for? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, the, I have no idea. Um, slim pickings. We, we got, we got nobody for 46. Oh, that's not true. Um, we have some guys. Um, I think I've heard of one or two of these guys, but, but let me, let me enumerate them for us. Uh, Todd Christensen, uh, tied in for the Raiders, uh, for about, about a decade. Yes. And, uh, went on afterwards to have a, uh, broadcasting career and, um, had a fabulous mustache as many men did in the eighties. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Lee Smith, uh, who uh, is a relief pitcher. I don't think he's related to the Lee Smith that, uh, that went on to start a fast food chicken restaurant to the South though. I, if there is a connection, I'm, I'm not aware of it. So, and it doesn't show up in the Wikipedia page. So I, I okay. think we're talking two different Lee Smiths. Um, and then, and then maybe the most famous person on this list, Andy Pettit. Yeah. Um, who, uh, Yankees pitcher, uh, was on some of those great nineties Yankees teams as well with the, he was with the Astros for a time as well. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe best known for steroid use now. Um, yeah, maybe, but he was, he was sort of an example of a guy who went, when the news kind of came out, when that list of players who had tested positive came out, he was smart enough to be like, yep, I did it. I regret it. Now let's move on. And people pretty much did. It was mm -hmm. the players who were like, no, I didn't do anything. And those test results are wrong. And how, you know, that ended up shooting themselves in the foot when it came to that. So he, he was a shrewd, uh, a shrewd guy in terms of handling that, that particular piece of it. Um, and who, who is our Buckeye this week? So we have Tim Spencer, who was a running back in the, uh, from 1979 to 1982 and was a, uh, was a, was a strong contributor for the, for the Ohio state, uh, football team. He went on to, uh, do some coaching, uh, in both college ranks and in the NFL, um, in fact, he ended up 
coaching, uh, let's see. Last thing I see here is that, uh, I mean, he, he coached running backs in the NFL at various places at, for Chicago and Tampa Bay. And so, um, you know, reasonably successful career for him. Very nice. Um, who, who do you like here? Who do you like out of this list? Man, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a strong preference for any of them. I mean, I, I, I like Todd Christensen's mustache. And um, he did manage to have a, an interesting sort of broadcasting career. Um, he ended up being a commentator for American Gladiators, classic show back in the, back in the 80s and 90s. Did some work for um, NBC in terms of calling games. Uh, unfortunately, he's no longer living. He died of, of complications from a liver transplant. So, but uh, I can go with any of these folks. So Um, let's go with Todd Christensen. Why not? Why not? So he is in the pro football hall of fame, I think. So, you know, it's not like he's a a chump. Yeah. I mean, that mustache is, is glorious with that, with that um, big curly hair as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was the '80s, you know. It was think think of the original Magnum PI with Tom Selleck, and and there you go. But I mean, he he looks like a raider, you know. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean by that? Like he looks like a like you wouldn't want to cross him on the street, sort of guy. No, no. And that's what this podcast is all about. People, you totally want to cross on the street. Totally, totally. All right, so John, one thing you liked this past week. Yeah. So this week I took the big step. I deleted all social media off my phone. Um, A, I have less of an idea of what's going on. Uh, B, I think my mood's greatly improved. Uh, so <laughs> I would uh, I would recommend it to everybody. Delete social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the whole nine yards off your phones. I see. So you, um, so but you still have your accounts on those platforms. You just don't access them on your phone. That's right. That's right. I can still get to him on the web. Okay. Okay. I will, I have not taken that step, but I will echo the, um, the, the level of my happiness often Mm -hmm. increases the less I am on social media. Yeah. In any case, uh, for me, the one thing I like this week, though, it's a modified one thing I like, this should have been the week for the annual ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society Conference, which because of COVID is happening in a modified form virtually. But one good thing is that all the major evangelical publishers have major discounts on their books. And so I, I, I am planning on spending, um, well, I probably should not say how much uh, I'm spending since my wife does listen to this podcast, but mm. um, in any case, um, I, I do plan on adding to the Harmon Library uh, this week through that. Okay. Okay. So, well, I think we have definitely uh, reached our mission accomplished for today. Would you? Agree? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think we're there. Yeah, and we gotta we gotta get on with the the rest of our busy busy day here as. Uh, movers and shakers at grace college and theological seminary so i i i don't really don't know that there's much else to say at this point other than mission accomplished and the lord bless y'all real good later